0: Bill Barnwell, do you know Roman numerals? Because I don't. (laughs) I'm looking at my computer screen, and I'm trying to read to you what Super Bowl LVII is, and I am struggling, man.
1: When you said Roman numerals, you said it like a proper name. So I was trying to think if we have a mutual friend, uh, (laughs) Roman numerals, and I could not place them. So absolutely not.
0: Oh, uh, Roman numerals. Roman numerals played with up with people in uh, the (laughs) 1970 uh, Super Bowl at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know. Yeah. That I guess I'm being told 57 is Super Bowl 57. Mm. Um, And Rihanna, incidentally, is going to, I guess, do the thing where uh, she dares a kicker to choose to watch the halftime performance over uh, listening to their coach for the second year in a row.
1: Uh, Like a modern-day Medusa, Pablo. (laughs) Any kicker runs the risk of having their foot turned to stone if they dare not sit in the locker room for... But Peyton Manning says don't exist in halftime adjustments.
0: That's right. No, Evan McPherson, a pioneer last year, Bengals kicker, he had to gaze at the unholy visage that was... 50 Cent being suspended upside down, where I assume he <laughs> remains still today.
1: Ready for us to be used like an NPC in a video game, just <laughs> wondering what purpose do I have and when can the blood please rush back to the rest of my body?
0: <laughs> Nothing gets good old fashioned American blood flowing like the thing we are here to dissect. Today, the only monocultural event really left in these increasingly fragmented United States, a game so big that corporations are conspicuously terrified to even call it by its actual name. And today, as we approach the finish line of this NFL season, Bill Barnwell is here to let us cheat off of his homework one more time and tell us everything we need to know About Super Bowl, yes, 57. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, February 7th. And this is ESPN Daily.
2: Delicious, meat, nutritious. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more.
0: So, Bill, I want to start by taking us back here because it is two years ago now. It is January 3rd, 2021. It is week 17. The Eagles are playing the Washington football team. Future ESPN Daily guest, Alex Smith, is playing quarterback. And you, then current ESPN Daily guest, Bill Barnwell, you were watching and talking to me about the Eagles tanking for draft position Mm -hmm. because they turned to Nate Sudfeld at quarterback. That's what Doug Peterson did in the fourth quarter. He threw for 32 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. They lose by six, and everyone is mad or laughing or both. They want punishment for the Eagles. And now, just two years later, that team is in the Super Bowl. So how did they get back on top this fast
1: really puts a lot into perspective pablo when the eagles have gone from the bottom of the nfl to the super bowl and i'm in this same exact spot pretty much uh (laughs) here here as a guest (laughs) on espn daily i i would say that i think a lot of the pieces that are here in helping the eagles advance to the super bowl were there in 2020 they just weren't the same as they are now. Jalen Hurts was on the roster in 2020. He was the quarterback who was benched in that game for Nate Sudfeld. He was not the Jalen Hurts we saw during the season this year where he was a viable MVP candidate. I think I've come on here in recent weeks and pointed out that Jalen Hurts was one of the 10 least accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. Yes. After adjusting for ERA, as a rookie that year. There were guys like Jordan Mailata, the now star left tackle, Josh Sweat, one of the best pass rushers now in football, and Javon Hargrave at free agent addition who really struggled in 2020, who's playing great this season. All guys who are superstars at the line of scrimmage for the 2022 Eagles who were not that caliber of player for the roster in 2020. And then, of course... For a team that's been very healthy this year, injuries really destroyed that 2020 team. Dallas Goddard, starting tight end, Lane Johnson, the excellent right tackle, both had their seasons ruined by injuries. Now, that helps, of course, but the Eagles fired Doug Peterson, the Mm -hmm. head coach just mentioned. They traded away Carson Wentz, their quarterback who was already sulking at that time. Since they made those moves, Pablo, the Eagles have pretty much nailed every decision they made. (laughs) Nick Sirianni wasn't on anybody's radar as a head coach. He was a laughingstock after his first press conference in Philadelphia. But he's been wildly impressive. So many players on this roster, both guys who were here in 2020 and players who have been acquired since, have improved dramatically under Sirianni's tutelage. Howie Roseman, the general manager, who was also on the chopping block a couple years ago. Yeah. He trades as much or really more than any other general manager in football. And the Eagles won the vast majority of those trades. The first one they did, of course, that offseason, they trade down from six to 12, pick up an extra first rounder in the future, and they still land Devontae Smith, star wide receiver. They trade a first-round pick this year to land A.J. Brown, getting them two-star receivers for less than what the Dolphins are paying for Tyreek Hill or the Raiders are paying for Devontae Adams. Mm. The Eagles acquire a starting safety, but just before the season, in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the Saints, a backup quarterback, and Gardner Minshew from the Urban Meyer-led Jaguars, (laughs) and another part of the deepest pass rush in football by trading for Robert Quinn. Right, and that's not even counting
0: free agency.
1: They nailed free agency this offseason. They acquired Asan Reddick to play on the edge and James Bradbury at cornerback, two of the best defenders at any position in football this season. And Roseman deserves a lot of credit, but so does the head coach. When you have so many players and so many moves that go right for your organization, it's usually a sign that your coaching's pretty good. So the most important acquisition, more than Brown, more than Bradbury, more than Reddick, might have been Sirianni.
0: But the overall notion of how to build a team here, Mm. I do want to sort of dive deeper into this because the Rams, notably, they went all in last year. Their GM wore that literal them picks (laughs) t-shirt. They won a Super Bowl. But this year, Bill, the teams in the Super Bowl are not that way. They are not all in because the Chiefs traded away Tyree Kill, their best receiver in the offseason. The Eagles traded away a first-round pick to get a future first-rounder from the Saints. But what does this signal to everybody else as a result?
1: I believe it reinforces really more that you have to have a concrete plan about how you're approaching not only this season, but also the seasons to come. What I would say is that the Eagles really leaned into the skid when things fell apart in 2020. They fired Peterson. They traded Wentz. They ate the dead money on bad deals for guys like Alshon Jeffrey. They were willing to sacrifice 2021 to get right and be set to compete in 2022. But a strange thing happened along the way, which is that Jalen Hurts got a lot better, a lot quicker than anybody was expecting. They stockpiled draft picks, thinking they were going to need them to get a quarterback of the future. And then it turned out they already had one. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, no matter what you want to do to some draft picks, you have to draft and develop homegrown talent to win in the NFL. Yes, the Rams... They may have copulated those picks, Pablo. But (laughs) their two best players last year were Aaron Donald, a first-round pick by the St. Louis Rams at the time, and Cooper Cup, a third-round pick by the Los Angeles Rams. And yes, the Eagles have made a lot of trades and a few key free agent acquisitions over the past couple years, but the core of their team is players who they drafted, who are either on rookie deals or signed a team-friendly extensions. The Rams maxed out their credit cards and won a Super Bowl. And hey, (laughs) if you win, that's all that matters. But the Eagles invested in index funds, did the fundamentals correctly, and then took some risks when they were already up a bunch. Whether it's the Patriots, whether it's the Eagles, that's always going to be the best way to run things.
0: And meanwhile, the Broncos are holding a lot of Dogecoin right now. Oh, boy. Which is a concern. But hold on. I want to follow up on the risk underneath this bill because... The risk the Chiefs took heading into this season is about Tyreek Hill, right? We didn't know how Patrick Mahomes was going to fare, how much he would suffer without his number one receiver. And it turns out he's somehow even better. That seems to be the lesson that we are learning here, that he can throw darts to absolute randos on a depth chart, going 10 deep literally in the conference championship game. And so what does this signal to you and to the rest of the league about the conventional wisdom that you're supposed to need A top tier receiver for your top tier quarterback.
1: I would love to have a better answer for this than Patrick Mahomes is different than anybody else in the league, but I kind of think that's just what the answer is. Joe Burrow was a guy who a couple weeks ago we were talking about as a worthy contender to Patrick Mahomes. And don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow is incredible. If Patrick Mahomes didn't exist, he might be the best quarterback in football. But he has weapons like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Jalen Hurts, who is awesome, who had an incredible season, has A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. When Burrow needed a big play in the AFC Championship game, what did he do, Pablo? He just chucked the ball up to Chase or Higgins on third and long or fourth down. And they came down with it. Whether it was double coverage on Chase, whether it was one-on-one coverage on Higgins, those guys were able to get the football. Patrick Mahomes does not really have that guy at wide receiver anymore. And by the second half of last week's game, they were down two of their top three wideouts. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is a meme (laughs) when it comes to NFL wide receivers, was the number one wideout for an offense heading to the Super Bowl. And that is not... Because Marquez Valdez-Scantling is suddenly a superstar, it's because Patrick Mahomes makes the people around him better. He is the best quarterback we have ever seen Mm. at making plays out of the structure of the offense. And I know we've ridden off the Chiefs as a bunch of also-ran receivers without Tyreek Hill. But there is a guy like that in this offense that we're maybe not giving enough credit in Travis Kelsey, who is still the best tight end in football by a <laughs> significant margin. Oh,
0: right, that guy.
1: And I mean, the fourth and one touchdown we saw last week from Mahomes to Kelsey was that kind of play where Mahomes had a receiver in the flat for a first down. Said, nah, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm gonna hunt for bigger game. Let Kelsey run into the end zone and then basically tossed him an entry pass into the post.
2: Chiefs go with three tight ends. Mahomes, pump faking. Now fires it late for the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City! Travis Kelsey from Patrick Mahomes! And the Chiefs lead 12-3. to
1: You only do that if you have a tight end you absolutely trust, not only to improvise in the same way you're improvising, but to also come down with the football on a contested catch. And it turned out to be an easy completion for Mahomes and Kelsey.
0: And so at the risk of just replicating the Chiefs offense in this podcast and returning <laughs> unendingly to Travis Kelsey, um, I do want to know more. I do want to know how teams plan to cover him because it does seem like for all of the things you just said, NFL teams suffer that same disease. It feels like we are constantly yelling at our televisions that that dude is open in the end zone pretty much every single time.
1: That's frustrating. I'm not going to lie. You try to understand the game, understand what's happening, and he breaks the rules every single week. I mean, covering Travis Kelsey is like, a timeshare presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone goes into the presentation thinking, we're not going to buy a timeshare. We're smarter than no, that. No, it's a
0: scam. This is a scam. Of course. Why would I ever put my money in this?
1: Right. Defensive coordinators are doing the same thing, Pablo. They spend all week coming up with a game plan to double Kelsey. Defenses walk onto the field knowing, okay, listen, Marquez Valdez-Scantling might have a day. Marcus Kemp might get open but we're not letting 87 beat us. We're going to stay plastered to him. There's definitely not going to be a play where he waltzes into the end zone totally (laughs) uncovered and we look like idiots. That is definitely not going to happen to us. Maybe the Raiders, but not us. And then everyone, everyone, Pablo ends up with timeshares courtesy of (laughs) Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid because they do everything in their power to make sure that you can't just take Kelsey out of the game.
0: But then even on top of that, right, there are the plays that don't even seem like, oh, this is a deeply considered design. Um, (laughs) What genius came up with this in a laboratory? And it's more just like Kelsey actually just doing improv. Like he is yes-anding whatever Patrick Mahomes wants to throw at him in that given moment.
1: Travis Kelsey, I think, is the best player in football, at least the best receiver in football, when it comes to improvising and finding open space against zone coverages. There's just so many plays for the Chiefs where you see Kelsey and another receiver end up in the same space. For most offenses, that's a bad sign. It's evidence that the players are not well coached. With the Chiefs, it's different. Kelsey has the freedom to go off script, go off what the route calls for, and go where he wants in situations, knowing that's not only essential for him to get open, but that Mahomes is going to be part of that hive mind and eventually find him with the football. I mean, this is the same guy, Pablo, who drew up a play on the fly to get open in the divisional round against the Bills last season.
2: Mahomes takes a snap on the near hash goes down the middle to Kelsey 35 down to the 31 timeout called by the Chiefs.
1: He breaks the rules in a good way for the Chiefs.
0: So we did talk some uh, in terms of the narrative feature arc of the Kelsey's on yesterday's show. But I want to actually just sow the seeds of discord in a way that only (laughs) you can between Jason and Travis. Because Jason, of course, you know, uh, all world all time center for the Eagles Who is the more impactful Kelsey in this game? Do you think?
1: I think it's Travis, but I don't think Jason is as far off as it might seem. Certainly the amount of times we will hear Travis Kelsey's name mentioned, and the amount of times we'll hear Jason Kelsey's name mentioned will not be commensurate with the gap between their performances because Jason Kelsey is really the focal point of this Eagles offense in so many ways at 35, If centers are even able to play, they are typically immobile. Jason Kelsey is not. He's the opposite. He's the focal point of this Eagles offense and the Eagles rushing attack. There's nobody else really like him in football. In terms of centers, you expect to pull and create blocks on the outside and at the second level. Every team in the NFL, for example, runs counter, a play where two linemen pull and get out to the edge. Everyone runs it pretty usually with a guard or a tackle, maybe two guards. Maybe you get a guard in the tight end, but the Eagles do it all the time with Kelsey because he's still athletic enough at 35 to be their best offensive lineman on the edge. They get to the same plays with different constructions or different blocking schemes. Jeff Stoutland, the Philadelphia offensive line coach dating back to Chip Kelly's time with the team, is one of the more underrated and likely underpaid people around the league, even given that he just signed a new deal to stay with the Eagles this week. And Kelsey who may retire after this game, is not far off as well.
0: But let's flip it to the Eagles' D-line here for a second because the notion of how to disrupt Patrick Mahomes in all of this. Patrick Mahomes, who has this right ankle sprain that he's coming off of or will be dealing with actively in this game, depending on how his rehab's going. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw him running for his life against the Bucks' defensive line in the last Super Bowl he played. That was two years ago. Yes, The Eagles' pass rush now... Um, it seems to be as scary, if not scarier, than anybody else in the league. And so, is this just going to be a recurring theme for Mahomes and Super Bowls? Him running for his life? How can they prevent that?
1: It might be Pablo, and and I think if we're sitting here on Monday and talking about how the Chiefs were blown out for the second consecutive Super Bowl, it's probably going to involve a lot of sacks from the Philadelphia Eagles defense. I. Have not been covering the NFL that long. I believe it is about 15 years at this point. This is the deepest pass rush I have ever seen Mm. from an NFL team. I mentioned Robert Quinn earlier. Yeah. Pablo, Robert Quinn had 18 and a half sacks last season for the Bears and made it to the Pro Bowl. He was one of the best pass rushers in all of football. He plays 12 snaps a game for this team. He's their (laughs) ninth most important (laughs) defensive lineman. Uh. Hassan Reddick. Who has broken out this year after two impressive seasons elsewhere has 16 sacks. Veteran Brandon Graham, former Super Bowl hero, filling in as his backup, yeah. has 11 sacks coming off the bench behind him. This is a truly scary defense, scarier to me than the Bucks defense that blew out the Chiefs a couple of years ago. Like you said, yeah. But the Chiefs also watched that game against the Buccaneers a couple of years ago, Pablo, <laughs> and turns out they don't want to have that happen again. That line was riddled with injuries. It was old. It was time for it to move on and adapt. And the Chiefs have spent heavily to get back to the situation and not have their line collapse again. They've rebuilt it over the past two years. They have one of the best interiors in football, with draft picks Creed Humphrey at center and Trey Smith at guard, along with free agent addition Joe Thune from the Patriots. But tackle is more of a question mark. Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley have struggled. This year against great pass rushers and the Eagles are kind of loaded with those guys on the edge.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at the just total stats here. I mean, they have the third most sacks in NFL history. Oh, apparently
1: that seems bad. If you're going to try and keep your star quarterback upright on a bun ankle seems like a big edge. Correct. It does. To be fair. Andy Reid has also thought about this and there are ways the chiefs will try to counteract that edge. Look at the ball out quickly. And they'll run at those pass rushers to keep them honest. That's the old school football way to do it. If they can't be fast, maybe what the Chiefs can do is get bigger. The Chiefs dramatically upped their usage of two and three tight end sets this season. They were using two or more tight ends about 28% of the time last year. They're up to more than 40% of their offensive snaps with two plus tight ends this year. Using those tight ends allows you to help chip and double-team those edge rushers, create longer paths with a quarterback, dictate what sort of personnel the defense has to put on the field, and still allows you to scheme up mismatches for Travis Kelsey. What the Chiefs have done would be like if the Warriors traded Klay Thompson and then became the best post-up offense in football. (laughs) As long as you still have Steph Curry or Patrick Mahomes, you're going to find a way to make your offense be great.
0: All right. You mentioned a couple of Warriors themes in this episode. I want to keep that going. So after the break, why Nick Sirianni seems to be light years ahead of Andy Reid in one key way. And also you're you're going to help us get really rich.
2: That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered.
0: So the Andy Reid of it all, Bill, is is a thing in this game. And this is Andy Reid going against his old employer, the team that, with him at head coach, could not win the big one. But something that Andy has always been aggressive about, dating back to his days in Philly, is a way in which he was sort of ahead of the curve, is his aggression on fourth down. And this genre of decision-making, which, you know, naturally polarizes NFL Twitter every time it happens, It really does matter in this game because Nick Sirianni is not just super aggressive in his own right. Mm -hmm. It turns out that football outsiders and all of the nerds that you nerds trust. um, (laughs) He's regarded as the best of the league this season. Mm -hmm. Sirianni is at making those critical calls on fourth down. Andy Reid apparently ranks 28th. So what makes the Eagles so good at this?
1: They found a cheat code. They found a little trick you can do on fourth down to make your offense succeed at a much higher rate than I think anyone else expects. Kalen Collar of The Athletic Order, great piece about the push sneak. Yeah. The sneak the Eagles use on third and fourth down with Jalen Hurts where he takes the snap and a bunch of really uh, powerful guys behind him push him forward for a first down. It's worked about 90% of the time this season. And NFL teams are typically pretty loath to consider the math when it comes to what they should do on fourth down. But when something works 90% of the time, teams are going to steal it. So we've seen the push sneak work its way around the NFL. And if the NFL lets people do it, I think it's going to change the calculus for the rest of the league and how they approach fourth and short. But the Eagles are here and ahead of the curve.
0: And this is another theme in this show, it turns out, like people just getting mad at the Eagles and demanding <laughs> them to be punished because maybe the rules change because it is, in fact, so nakedly exploitable in Philadelphia.
1: Yes, but this has been the rule for decades. The NFL has very clear rules about you cannot pick up a player and fling him forward, which would be great. You could have it be a very small person and get flung forward for big gains. Oh,
0: I love this. Yeah, fastball special, baby.
1: Against the rules as it turns out, but pushed forward is legal, at least for now. So I I understand that people are upset. I understand my teams feel like the Eagles are twisting the rules perhaps in their favor.
0: Oh, they're sneaky, Bill. The Eagles are they're a sneaky, clever, nerd team. I've come to appreciate
1: that's the thing, Pablo, is that they're sneaky, but they're being sneaky because the numbers back up what they want to do. The Eagles are one of the, I would say, three most analytically inclined teams in football. But what makes it really impactful for the Eagles is that they head into each series with a confidence they'll go forward on fourth down and succeed. And that changes the entire way you can call plays. Go back to the NFC Championship game. On third and 10 in the first quarter against the Niners, Hurts took a check down to Dallas Goddard for seven yards, knowing that he could take that because the Eagles would then go for it on fourth and short. Hertz took a snap on fourth and three, dropped back, threw up a long pass to Devontae Smith, and in reality, it was not caught. But in the NFL, it was caught. Went down as a catch. (laughs) The Eagles scored two plays later and never looked back. So if you're a defense that messes with you, because most defenses... On third down or based around the idea that if you keep the other team short of the sticks, they're going to punt. You don't have to worry about them coming within a yard or two because that's not going to encourage most teams to go for it. If you don't have that in your back pocket as a guideline, it changes the coverages you can feel comfortable playing. And it creates the possibility of a bigger play going past you on third down. It also makes it easier for the Eagles to take a deep shot on first down or second down knowing they'll still have three plays to pick up a first down afterwards.
0: But well, hold on. what happened to Andy Reid's cojones, oh, though? Wow. By contrast, you just made the case for why aggression is justified. Why has Andy fallen off?
1: I don't know that he's fallen off as much as the rest of the league has caught up and gone past him with aggressiveness. Andy Reid is smart. He was part of the same Eagles organization when they were really on the forefront of using analytics 15 years ago. He's also an old school coach. He's a very traditional coach in some other ways. And the baseline for traditional coaches for when to go forward or what to do in those situations are very different than people who grew up a couple generations later playing Madden 14 hours a day (laughs) during the summer. Remember a couple of years ago, Pablo, when Andy Reid won the Super Bowl for the first time. He won it in part because he went for it on fourth and short inside the five-yard line and scored a touchdown. If that is still the case on Sunday where Reed is still pretty conservative and Sirianni gets very aggressive and trusts the numbers, that could be a major competitive advantage for the Eagles.
0: Well, there's also just like the subtext here too, right? You've been on top of this angle, but the idea that there is also just beef Because the Eagles fired Andy Reid. Not
1: not the kind of beef Andy Reid is a fan of.
0: (laughs) Not. (laughs) There's just literal and figurative beef running through this entire thing. Because the Eagles fired Andy Reid. They hired Doug Peterson. He won a Super Bowl. Philly special to Patriots. Remember that. Reid goes to the Chiefs. And one of the guys that he inherits that he's like, yeah, I don't want this guy around. (laughs) 31-year-old dude. Don't know much about him. Young assistant. His name happened to be Nick Sirianni. It's <laughs> a little and harsh. And that is amazing to
1: me. Have you ever been fired, Pablo, by someone saying, I don't know who you are. Yeah, you don't mean that much <laughs> to me. I can't imagine it was like that, but I'll admit, I've held grudges for longer, for less than this. <laughs> imagine if you're Nick Sirianni, you're just starting your career, you're kind of stuck with some bad co- head coaches, you get fired by a guy who's beloved around the NFL, who goes on to win year after year with your old roster, then a decade later, you get his job and you take the team he could never win a Super Bowl with to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Ugh. He'd be, you'd be a little concerned. And the opposite's true too. Andy Reid, one of the greatest coaches in football history who revitalized the Eagles and took them to the Super Bowl, was run out of town. And then he goes to Kansas City and makes it to a Super Bowl and wins it and goes back and is now back a third time this is going to be a big ball of hatred between these two coaches, Pablo.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about ways to evaluate, to further adjudicate this ball of hatred. Because I want to talk about the red zone, right? The Eagles are so good. Third best red zone offense. The Chiefs, they are second worst in red zone defense. Ugh. So how do you assess this? How is the red zone going to be won?
1: I think that was a very bad Olsen Twins movie, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) It's going to be a real deciding factor in this game when the Eagles have the football because even if the Chiefs can slow down the Eagles and and steal a possession or two, if the Eagles go four for four or five for five in the red zone, it's going to be a long day. It's going to take something perfect from Mahomes for them to win this game. And they've been great in the red zone so far this year. They're eight for 11 in the postseason. And one of those failures is really insulting to the other team. They were kneeling in the red zone Mm. in the fourth quarter against the Niners last week, because they were up so far ahead. But we've talked about this a lot on, on ESPN daily Pablo, how red zone performance is inconsistent. It's flaky. It's unsustainable, right? It's a neutralizer for teams who ride their dominant red zone offenses into the postseason. And it's been something that's helped save bad red zone defenses. Once they get into the postseason, because typically, red zone performance regresses towards league average. And you would figure when you see a great red zone offense go up against a great red zone defense in the playoffs, that would lead to a really messy game for that defense. That does not turn out to be the case. We've had 15 games over the last 20 years where a top five red zone offense has met a bottom five red zone defense. The bottom five red zone defense is 11-4. and four. In those games. Mm. And that red zone offense that should have an advantage basically scores at a league average rate. They convert in the red zone about 60% of the time. The average rate over that 20 year span, 57%. So they have not been able to take their dominance in the red zone from the regular season and translate it into postseason success, even against the worst red zone defenses in football. And that includes two weeks ago where the Chiefs, and their terrible red zone defense, held a Bengals team that was dominant in the red zone during the regular season to a mediocre performance and helped push Kansas City to the Super Bowl.
0: So what you're saying is that it takes two, which is literally the name of an Olsen Twins movie, which I've been Googling furiously since you alluded to how the West was fun about a minute ago.
1: <laughs> it's a great name. <laughs> maybe maybe a passport to Paris.
0: But okay, hold on. We're talking about pairs now, okay? Um yes. The matchup that will define the game. If you're asking me, uh, having watched the conference championship games, as you just alluded to them, I'm thinking about Chris Jones and Jalen Hurts. I'm thinking of those two players. I'm thinking about how tough a time Jalen Hurts had against the Niners defense. I'm thinking about the best pass rusher on the Kansas City Chiefs. Is that as impactful to you as it seems to be to me?
1: It is impactful, and Chris Jones can win this game for the Chiefs. He's that dominant of a player at his best. But I think it's slightly different for me. I would go with Hertz versus the edge defenders and the linebackers for the Chiefs who. And I want to make this clear. They're going to be in hell during <laughs> this game. Because the Eagles are so good at freezing those linebackers and freezing the edge rushers and making them wrong with their RPOs and their zone read concepts. Jalen Hurts looks at a defensive end. If they come in and try to chase Jalen Hurts, he hands the ball off to someone who runs where that defensive end used to be. If defensive end stays outside, Jalen Hurts keeps the ball himself, runs up the middle, usually for about 20 yards. People look stupid. The Eagles look smart. It happens over and over again. The Eagles have overwhelmed teams during the postseason, with zone read looks. Yeah. They have 318 yards rushing with zone read concepts through two games. Only one other team over the last decade had more than 200 rushing yards on zone read concepts in an entire postseason. (laughs) And the Eagles have only played two games so far.
0: And so if Hertz and the zone read and RPOs all broke down, that defensive front for the 49ers, which was one of the best in the sport, what hope do the Chiefs have?
1: As good as the Niners are, you saw their limits when the Eagles broke them mentally yes. over the course of that game. And the Chiefs, they have a few stars. You mentioned Chris Jones is an excellent player. They are not as talented as the 49ers. Steve though, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, ironically learned how to coach defense under beloved late defensive coordinator Jim Johnson with the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm. And he has all kinds of exotic sim pressures, creepers, and blitzes to fool the opposing quarterback. But all those exotic pressures leave you with open gaps and opportunities for big plays when the Eagles hit those soft spots that are left open by the blitz. And Jalen Hurts is very, very good, whether it's as a runner or as a passer, at finding those soft spots quickly and attacking them. Mm. If the Chiefs can win in the red zone, maybe force a takeaway or two, that should be enough for them to win the game.
0: But at the end here, Bill, um, I do recognize that a lot of us, a lot of uh, normies watching this game are going to try to win something too. And so we should know this is not simply the monocultural behemoth astride our country. It is also the time when a an enormous amount of degenerate gamblers are all going to try and make money. And I know that you yourself have dabbled with a prop bet or two in your day. So allow us to cheat off of you in this regard, too. How are you approaching your bets? How can we do the same? Pablo,
1: have I never told you the story about when my prop bets went awry?
0: No. No, you have not. Oh. Can, can you indulge me, please? I would love nothing more. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Go back to 2011. The New York Giants were playing the New England Patriots. And I, a fresh-faced Grantland writer, was attending his first Super Bowl and living in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I wrote a column on the prop bets before the game that year, Pablo. And I did the math, and I found that one of the bets that had the biggest gap between the projected odds from the Vegas line and the actual chances of it happening was betting against the possibility that a safety would occur. Mm. And I was smart. I said, oh, those rubes throwing their money at the Vegas sports books, <laughs> trying to hit a long shot on the possibility of a safety. The book knows better. And so you don't win a lot of money when you bet on a safety not occurring in an NFL game because they don't occur very often. Right. But even though the math was in my favor, I put down a fair amount of money for me, especially at that time. And I flew to Indianapolis in the press box during the first drive of the game for the New England Patriots, I saw Tom Brady commit intentional grounding inside the end zone <laughs> for a <his> safety. <laughs> oh. Brady, a lot of time before he gets hit deep downfield, and the pass is incomplete, and that's Justin Tuck who got there late and knocks him down. the That penalty results. Yeah, was so cool. yeah. Whoa. Which turned the entire trip into a net loss financially for your friend, Bill. Oh, Bill. Now, you would think, Pablo, I learned from that mistake, but the story continues. <laughs> the next year, I said to myself, what are the chances <laughs> that there would be safeties in back?" back Super Bowls. That year in the Super Bowl, the Ravens and the Niners were playing. It got to the fourth quarter. There were 12 seconds left. The Niners were trailing. But the Ravens had the football, and they had John Harbaugh, who was one of the smartest people and one of the most creative people in the NFL and a former special teams coordinator. Mm -hmm. And, Pablo, I was watching this game in Vegas at a sports book with all those people who bet on a safety to happen. And I had bet for the second year in a row on a safety not to happen. <laughs> and as the Ravens called the timeout and prepared for their punt, which literally the only thing they left to do in the game was punt and then celebrate winning a Super Bowl, the commentators started talking. What if they did an intentional safety? And I just shook my head. No, could not possibly happen to me two years in a row. Well, let's think about it. You bring up a great point. You take a safety 34-31. You punt the football. Free kick from the 20. No, I would not do it. And Pablo, they snapped the ball. And what happened next was inappropriate for consumption. Every single player on the Ravens grabbed a partner and dragged them down to the ground, holding Uh. intentionally to run time off the clock. Sam Cook, the Ravens punter, flailed around, running, trying to burn as much time as possible before intentionally taking a safety to the cheers of an entire Vegas sportsbook. And takes the safety
2: with four seconds to go. 49ers weren't ready for that. That's all.
1: Except for one man who had lost <laughs> a bet on a safety not happening for, for the second year in a row. The second year in a row. So, Pablo, I have no tips for you <laughs> on what to do with prop bets. I learned my lesson two years in a row.
0: Bill Barnwell, the smartest, sharpest NFL analyst that we know, um, we are always happy to bet on you.
1: I would save your money, Pablo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.